Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer a Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer a Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. 
We're here for the second of our positional reviews shows, and this week we have Jim Zipko joining us to talk about the running backs. Jim, how you doing? I'm great, Ken. How are you doing? I've got no real complaints other than the Ravens are not playing today, and we're watching right. other teams do it, even if the Giants are getting destroyed by the Eagles and the and the Chiefs took care of the Jags at home, and that could have been the Ravens, obviously. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about you first. Uh, where can folks talk football with you online? Well, on Twitter all the time, I'm at zip underscore Jim. And I also have, during the season, I've had a weekly column appearing on RSR to discuss the pass catchers. Uh, probably not very much to discuss along those lines in the offseason, but I actually expect to put up a piece about punters and punting data in the next week or two. So maybe that will be of interest. Well, that sounds like fun. We could have a pot on that if you wanted to. Uh, need to thank our, our sponsor, Liquid Death, the water that will brutally murder your thirst. Uh, please give their product a try. They've been good to us, and we uh, would recommend the Lime Seltzer. Uh, getting back to the running backs for a moment, injuries dominated the dialogue during camp. Of course, Dobbins injured before the 2021 season, uh, Edwards as well uh, during the year. And uh, during the year, that's right, isn't it? Yeah. And and Edwards uh, stayed on PUP. Dobbins uh, really wanted to come back, uh, thought he was ready to come back, came back as early as week three, although he, he was on the roster to, to, to start week one. He came off PUP, which might have been ill-advised, as it turned out. Um, and, uh, that of course took a roster spot, but he, he tried to play uh, in four games early on, was not very effective, uh, went back under the scope and came back and was very effective. And we'll talk about that a little bit. And of course the big, the big other player that the, the Ravens had high hopes for was Tyler Beatty, who they drafted in the sixth round. I don't understand. Uh, I, I thought I found him to be a promising player and I was actually surprised that he didn't stay with the team coming out of camp. I think. If they had it to do again, I'm not sure if they do it differently, but they could have gotten a look at Beatty instead of getting a look at, say, Mike Davis, because that made no sense at all. Mike Davis no was, at all. was useless. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he I provided mean, I, nothing. And the Ravens have been down this road before, of course, with Devonta Freeman, Le'Veon Bell, and Murray last year. Uh, Latavius Murray. Yeah, and, and this year again, Kenya Drake actually was not terrible. He, he helped the team a little bit in terms of what he did. Uh, Mike Davis did not. And that uh, that was kind of unfortunate. Ended up playing only 42 snaps after after the week one start for the Ravens, which is a little surprising. Uh, I may have that wrong. That might have been pass snaps or rush snaps or something like that. But I have him as 42 snaps. I need to make sure that's correct. But anyway, Mike Davis, uh, obviously uh, a veteran they leaned on. I've got my own theories that that it's they like the veterans because of the mesh point. Do you have any, any other reason why they might have liked Mike Davis? Uh, he was touted as a receiving back, and uh, with J.K. Hurt, uh, uh, perhaps they didn't feel that they had a guy out of the backfield that uh, that knew where to where to go, how to run routes, and stuff like that. All right, let's go with that. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of these things. Uh, you know, very few snaps the whole year. In a way, it was the season that wouldn't end for him because he was on the roster, trickled in for unbelievably. He was still on the roster in week 11 and active, played one snap that game. But his last six games, he played one, two, five, five, three, and one snaps. I just Please. think that if 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 Dobbins or Gus could have been definitively healthy, you know, Gus had even concussion issues late in the season. Uh, I, I think they would have loved to have cut loose of Mike Davis. But like just when they were about to, 
like Dobbins goes back under the knife or, or Gus yeah. maybe has some questions about his availability. So I think they couldn't quite let go. Yeah, I mean, I agree. They didn't quite let go. I mean, they, they still had Tyler Beatty on the practice squad most of the year. Denver finally took him uh, in the final couple of weeks of the year, elevated him to the roster. He was inactive the first week, and then he rushed once for zero yards. So we're not claiming Tyler Beatty was a star or anything. It just right. would have been nice to see what they had with Tyler Beatty since they you know invested a draft pick in him. Yeah, and I also think that the, you know, having to hold on to, what are we up to, five running backs now? So we got Gus, we got JK, we got Mike Davis, who we're talking about, uh, we got Justice Hill and Kenyon Drake. I, I think that they wouldn't have wanted to hold on to that many. That's a roster spot that maybe could have been somewhere else, used somewhere else. Sure. I mean, I, I agree with that. When you're ready to get rid of Mike Davis, I mean, they had some weeks where they were really short running backs, like they were with Hill and Drake, and that's pretty much it. Right. So there are other there, there were times when they could have used um, uh, Beatty as a third back. And I think early in the season would have made the most sense for that. Maybe make Drake the number one, Beatty the number two. There is some overlap, perhaps, in what Beatty and Hill bring to the team. And mm -hmm. I think Justice Hill kind of had a, a, a pretty decent year. He contributed in some significant ways for the Ravens, certainly on special teams, but on offense as well in terms of, of being on for a lot of passing downs being a generally reasonably reliable pass blocker and uh, an occasionally explosive runner. I actually think even more highly of Justice Hill than that. And I wish they had given a bunch of Kenyon Drake's carries to Justice Hill. Uh, we'll talk about 2023 later, but he's one of the real big questions as to what do they, what do they do with him? But I, I definitely, I agree with you in the sense that I think they kind of underutilized Hill a little bit this yeah. year. He, when the team is is desperate without any kind of an outside speed threat, he was the obvious guy who brought that along with what Duvernay could do with jet motion. Uh, but you want to have sometimes you want to have a two way speed threat and give Lamar Jackson even a, more advantages in the middle of the field uh, that he might be able to take advantage of. And and uh, they just didn't have that for very much of the season, or at least not on a on, they didn't have it on a regular basis because they really did not trust Hill that much. It looks like. It's it's peculiar because um, so I, I <laughs> you know, the um, the baseball statistic OPS on sure. base plus slugging. So I uh, played around uh, last maybe month of the season with a running back version of that, which I'm calling YTS yards times success, which is the yards per carry average times the success rate. The typical football outsider success rate, you know, 40 percent on first down, 60 percent on second down, 100 percent right. on third and fourth down. And uh, you get some interesting um, results that seem kind of plausible when you rank backs by that. And Justice Hill on the season, I got 5.35 yards per carry and a 59% success rate, which is very good for a running back. I think that he was very reliable and productive. I think he took a real step in terms of maturity. I think as a younger back, we saw him maybe a little uh, reckless, maybe outrunning his blocking sometimes and sometimes not settling for the hole that was there and thus taking a loss because he tried to bounce at some place where there wasn't anything. I, saw him, I think we saw a much more disciplined and mature back in Justice Hill this year who was actually quite good in the with the little utilization that he got. You know, I'm thinking about your stat here, and I, I think I really like it. I, I And normally... When I hear a new stat, there's something wrong with it, or at least there's a caveat that has to go with it or whatever. But right. I, o, OPS is highly flawed. 
Uh, it adds yeah. together two things that that are that are not the same. I mean, why not add right. fielding percentage and batting average? <laughs> you, 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 well, at least it's both things that have to do with plate appearances. It's not like fielding and you know strikeouts or anything. I, I mean, loosely loosely related to plate appearances in the case of slugging. But the thing the, the, the thing that's important on on offense is how it's used, mm-hmm. and that's yeah. that's what in baseball they, yeah. they, they they fail to 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 like mold those things. I, I tell you, when that was done in the late '80s and early '90s by Statsnick, I was pissed. I was, I was scoring games in the press box. I was in contact with them. I, I was very upset about the the advancement of this thing. It's like, you guys got to know better than this. I know you want one number, but you've got to know better. And they do it. They're, now they have a weighted OBA. And, you know, you 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 uh, if you weight it, you really are, use about two times the on-base percentage and one times the slugging, which is something they could have done in the past if they'd have uh, approximated the relative value of it. But, you know, it's been 40 years of, uh, home run hitters justifying their existence over this ridiculous statistic that is not very good. Anyway. Woo! No, 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 no. Let's open the stats rabbit hole. Yeah. We're talking to the there right guy go. here. So so on-base percentage and slugging percentage, the use of them together, to the best of my knowledge, goes back to Bill James' run-created formula, but he multiplied them and then multiplied them additionally the uh, product of them and either at bats or plate appearances i forget which and that was his rough approximation of his runs created formula and then the the more formal formula had you know caught stealing you know a bunch of other things sure but his simple you know get you within about 10 or 15 percent of runs created was oba times slugging times either plate appearances or at bats i forget which okay that's a factored approach I, 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 how soon did he get to runs created? It was runs created per, per 27 outs used has been the, the most common current thing. Mm-hmm. And, and outs used in the denominator is really the important advancement. If you have that, then you can use offshoots of isolated power, slugging, whatever you want to do, and, and, and use that in the same formula with, with OPS. But you need outs used in there somehow. Mm-hmm. And you and you if uh, anyway, let me let me bring this back to the running back situation here, because what I'm saying is I really like your formula, I think, because it multiplies two things. I'm not sure they should be they should be multiplied together, but it's not a bad thing. So you have, mm-hmm. you have your total yards per carry, which is one important metric, and you're multiplying yeah. that by a success rate. So I'm, I'm trying to understand and try to think to myself, which is the more important of those two, the success rate of the yards per carry. And it well could be that success rate tells you more, and that's you know three times the information, and then you're multiplying two things that are of not equal weighting. But on on the surface, I like it. It's a great new attempt to do something different. I've, I is anybody else doing this? Did you, did you steal this idea from somebody, or did you come up with it yourself? I uh, I believe <laughs> I guess I came up with it myself, but I don't want to take any innovation innovation credit from it because. You know, success rate comes from Aaron Schatz at Football Outsiders. Sure. OPS comes from, I'm going to say Bill James. I'm not going to credit stats. You know, they bastardized the original multiplication approach. You know, so it's, it's a, it's, it's stealing a couple of ideas and from, from two disparate sources and putting them together. Sure. Okay. I, I mean, o, OPS is, just, I mean, on base and slugging, what Bill James did that was very good was he popularized the use of those two things as being the two most important offensive statistics. They yeah. are. But you shouldn't yeah. add them together because they're not equally important. They're they're right. yeah, they're they're different amounts of important. Which is more important? Is it OBA is more important? Oh yeah, by a factor of two. Yeah, okay. roughly. Yeah. So you want you want to so it's because it, the so, reason is because it's more closely related to outs used. That's mm-hmm. the reason. Outs used is the scarce resource. Yeah. 
Maybe Earl Weaver, remember the most valuable asset oh, yeah, a yeah. team has is is its twenty seven ounce. Right, I, he I didn't want to spend any of them by stealing bunting. a base, right. <laughs> by bunting. Right. Yeah. Well, so if, if we go, if you want to go down this hole just a tiny little bit, uh, the the one, two, three, four, five, six running backs for the well. Let me discuss the stat very briefly. Success rate. You know, if you uh, it, it in a sense dominates because you know if you don't have any successful runs then you know you get a zero no matter how high your runs per carry is so you can have a nine yards per carry average but if you're gaining nine yards on third and ten every time that's not a successful down so you actually get a zero in this stat uh i, I think of it kind of as of your yards per carry what percent of your yards per carry does a success rate allow you to keep? That's kind of the way I intuitively think of it. So among running backs, now obviously Lamar led the team in this stat. But among running backs, you first had J.K. Dobbins, who had a 58% success rate, 5.65 yards per carry. Uh, for a, uh, I mean, I don't want to read off a bunch of numbers. If you want to put it on your website, I'd be happy to send you my uh, my spreadsheet. Uh, sure, I we, I mean, or we could maybe have a separate show on it. I think it's it's a it's okay. a really interesting topic. But I want to I want to go down the rabbit hole further with you when we do it. So that, uh, but okay. it, it does sound like a good one. It almost sounds like there should be a third factor for volume there, like carries. Yes, right, right. So that's the problem. You absolutely have to have a minimum carry stack because if somebody can just you know run once for ten yards and gain a first down, and he's going to lead the team in that stat. So you do have to do right. some kind of uh, filtering there. And when I looked at Football Outsiders, when I multiplied this stat times rushing attempts. I got a number that was very similar to their effective yards number that they have on their running back stats page uh, with like yards. an 85. Yeah, they have something called effective yards, which has to do with their DR calculation, and, okay. and I'm not sure. Uh, but it was, I was like 85% or so, or I don't know if it's a percent or what, though, but I had like a correlation of like 0.85 or 0.89 with so that. Be, you, you got a lot of extra time at work, obviously. But we, <laughs> <laughs> I get, now I'm on shift work now. I get a couple yeah. days off during the week, right there after the statistics come out for the game weekends. <laughs> there you go. I, I'm sorry, I'm making fun of you, and it's not fair. But that's, 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 uh, uh, that seriously is some outstanding thinking on that. I'd love to really dig into that sure. with you. And I, the, it, but it's not, it's, it's effective yards and not DR. There's a different one. I mean, DR I've looked at uh, a fair amount. If you if you pull up their stats page for running backs, one of the columns way over to the right is effective yards. Okay. And there's probably some attempt. You know, it needs to be divided by attempts or whatever to get at their maybe at their DR or something. I don't know. Okay. And it's not, but it's not like giving them a partial credit for the yards over ten, the yards between four and ten, the yards between zero and four, et cetera. It may, in fact, be doing that. I'm sorry, that's more than okay. I know about what they're doing. All right, I know that's that's a ALR just adjusted line yards. I think mm -hmm. works yep. off something like that. All right, let's get back. So let's if get we could, if could, could we just list the running backs then in the order of this stat? Sure. Okay, so number one was uh, JK, uh, 5.65 yards per and a 58% success rate, which gives them a YTS of 3.26. Justice Hill, 5.35 uh, yards per carry, 59% success rate for a YTS of 3.16. And then Gus, 5.08 yards per, 60% success rate for a YTS of 3.05. And then in this stat, a round two is kind of the breakpoint for average. That would be like a 4.5 yards per carry and a 45% success rate gives you like 1.98 or something like that. So about two 
is an average uh, performance, average-ish. So anything above that score is good. Kenyon Drake was at a 1.98 with his 4.44 yards per carry, 44.5 success percent success rate. Patrick Ricard, 2.29 yards per carry, but 71% success. He's converting a lot of and shorts, right? Yep, and ones go. and twos. Yeah. So that gives him a number of 1.63. And then our boy Mike Davis, 2.25 yards per carry and 37.5% success, success rate for 0.84 and a truly terrible rushing performance on the season. Yep. That was, uh, it, it certainly was that. I, I will tell you from for we'll go down this real quickly with the with the football outsiders guys. They, they only, the Ravens only had one guy who made their minimum 100 yards rushing mm-hmm. category, and that was Kenny 100 Drake. rush attempts. You yeah. 100 rushing attempts. Yes, correct. For he, and he was 109 for 482, but he's 40th in effective yards, 37th in success rate, and this is of it's not that many uh, of 42 guys of 42 guys. Who, who had 100 carries. He was 37th in success rate. He uh, was four- not – He he's an interesting player in that he's a high volatility player. If he can get through mm-hmm. – like if he can get two yards without being touched, then he'll get you 10. But he – I don't know what his problem is, if he has no contact balance or if he, or if, or if he can't change direction or whatever. He – got stuck behind the line of scrimmage, uh, either stuffed at or behind the line of scrimmage on fully a quarter of his runs this year. That is terrible. And and Drake, the, the way I put it is that he did very well on well-blocked runs. Is that, yeah. Is that, you know, when, when he got into level three, he had the long speed to finish runs, while J.K. Dobbins did a great job of getting to level three but couldn't finish runs. Early. So he just, oh, even late. I mean, yeah. he, he, it looked like he had a piano on his back. He's leaving thousand yards <laughs> on the field. For the for the for most I, I've used that line so many times now it's like an automatic so uh, and there there there's somebody had a meme out there of me and say and and it's 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 everybody looking at Bart Simpson saying say the line say the line <laughs> <laughs> inside linebacker could be platoon <laughs> yeah he uh, uh, you know I hate to pile on Kenyon Drake because I've interacted with him a little bit on Twitter and he seems an extremely thoughtful composed guy who you know has a good head on his shoulders, but he, um, he was not, I, I cringed almost every time he ran just because I was, you know, and then he, but then he busts a 30 yard one. And you're like, Oh, what a great play. You know, and he had the one tremendous game for the Ravens. No, yeah. The Giants, right? Giants. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I, I found Ju- uh, justice Hill to be much more reliable on, uh, all, I guess 49 runs this year, over five, almost 60% success rate. I, I, I don't get uh, his usage pattern. And, and, and it almost feels like their evaluation of Hill was stuck in a prior year, a prior edition of the player that Hill is mm-hmm. or was. Yeah, you, never... mentioned, you mentioned uh, jet sweeps. And one thing that uh, annoyed me was when they elevated Andy Isabella to run yeah. the jet sweeps, I mean, Justice Hill, what did he run, a 4-4, 4-3-5 or something like that in the 40 way back when? He, why wasn't he the jet sweeps guy? Well, I think, for one thing, I think Isabella was even faster. I just don't think he was that terrifying to opposing defenses. I think I think Hill might still give you more, being the power and maybe the cutting and the elusiveness and some of those yeah. things, I think he might give you more. But I, I, I agree, and I, I, you know, one of the things the Ravens could have done is put Pony on the field and, mm. and you know, put two running backs on, and and that's okay. Andy Isabella doesn't really give you anything as a receiver. I, at least I don't think think so. So, uh, 
anyway, let's, it's hard let's, to let's, see where on the field Andy Isabella gives you anything. There you go. They had him, I think, as a backup return guy in in part. So let's kind of take our way through this chronologically because it's easy to forget what happened to the 2022 Ravens at the running back position. But uh, Tyler Beatty was added as a as a screen guy, you know, a guy that that seemed to be a very good match with the Linderbaum pick in terms of being a guy who could, you know, potentially run screen bobs, had some power, some elusiveness, low center of gravity, um, you know, could could give you various things in the run. Uh, sorry, in the in the pass game that would, you know, maybe make a difference from uh, where things were. Actually, I think we saw more from Hill. In, in that regard, I mean, obviously, obviously we, did, we saw more from Hill than we did from Beatty, but we saw more above expectation than we did from Hill on some of those plays um, than, than from, uh, obviously, the Beatty. Do you have data on how many uh, screens they ran this year and who they ran them to? I, I know that we, it, it felt uh, uh, anecdotally that we used screens more this year and more effectively this year than we had in the prior seasons. I'm going to see while we're going here, if I can come up with an important um, yak amount uh, to, to see relative to total yards, but that's all I would have. Okay. Uh, let's go. But, but while we're talking about this, uh, JK Dobbins, uh, obviously he kind of demanded his way back onto the practice field during camp. Should not have been there. Had to go back to IR after four games, you know, not playing well. And you know, those first pre-scope games, J.K. Dobbins had 123 carries on 35 yards, 3.5 yards per carry. When he came back, he's one of the best backs in the NFL, 385 yards on 57 carries, 6.8 yards per carry, and then another 4.8 yards per carry in the wild card game where he's complaining about not getting the ball enough. And what I'll say about that 6.8 yards per carry that to close out the four regular season games that, that, that he played at the end, um, he did that while leaving an unbelievable number of long yards on the table. He just he, he could not finish a run to save his life. I mean, he's, and he's he was angry first. about it, too. You yeah. could see his frustration. Oh, yeah. And, and he, he was lighting up the lead over six yeah. yards per carry. And he's frustrated that he's not doing better. Yeah, he's, he's a very, very exciting player when he's when he's healthy. Yeah, he's very, very open about it, which is good because because he realized that even then something was wrong. He's saying, you know, next year I'm going to be fine. The, the, the long speed is going to be back and whatnot. And that's good. Um, you know, if, if it ends up, he ends up being a Ray Rice type back, which he is not so far in his career, despite the great yards per carry in the first two seasons, he hasn't been, the you're receiver. talking about his usage in the passing game. Yeah. He hasn't been the receiver yeah. that Rice was. And, and, and yeah. Rice had a, a very enviable position. If you want to be a check down running back on any team, the Baltimore Ravens is a great place to be a check down running back. Yeah. Just an incredible place. Uh, cause that, that was Flacco's second read. So it's a, Pretty much it. Uh, he was, so you mentioned Ray Rice. So uh, in his, uh, in Matt Waldman's evaluation of Dobbins coming out of college, Waldman had Dobbins as Ray Rice with a splash of Ladanian Tomlinson. And the splash was uh, Dobbins' ability to reaccelerate after changing speeds, you know, slowing down to make a cut or, hmm. or make a guy miss or whatever, his ability to reaccelerate. Uh, and you can kind of see it when he after injury. It's a it's a very sad situation. The Ravens have gotten one and a half great years out of J.K. Dobbins out of the first three, yeah. and really one and a quarter. Honestly, if you really want to get down to it, it's that's that's what it is. And they're going to go into 2023. It's going to be his last year with the Ravens. 
Mm-hmm. I don't see them signing him long term. I don't think that he fits the plans. If you got Lamar Jackson, you're probably not going to pay a running back because you're going to have to start making decisions about where you where you don't spend money. And that's going to be shame. pretty where Albert, pretty much everywhere. I think that he and, and and I think that some of that explains his. I mean, Dobbins is uh, uh, the way he pressured the team and to get him back on the field, I think may have been contract related, you know, like, can I earn the extension now, you know, without going into the the final season of my deal? I mean, uh, the Ravens would have to extend him then, right? which within the Lamar world we live in, I don't know if that seemed reasonable or not, but it was more reasonable before they acquired Roquan. Obviously, yeah. Signed Roquan, even. Yeah, and whether it's reasonable or not doesn't really factor into whether Dobbins, whether it was in Dobbins' mind. You may see your coworkers cracking open a can in your 9 a.m. stand-up meeting, but it's most likely not beer. It's a new mountain spring water called Liquid Death. You've heard me talk about this many times. Why is it called Liquid Death? Well, because it'll brutally murder your thirst. Plus, its infinitely recyclable Tallboy cans are helping to be a, bring a death to plastic bottles. Did you know plastic's not even really recyclable anymore? It ends up just going to a landfill because it's not profitable to recycle. Meanwhile, aluminum is recyclable and profitable for recycling facilities. You guys know how much I love Liquid Death. It's in everything I do. I take it to work. I take it to the ball club. I take it when I'm out with the kids. I got them right here on my can on my desk because I'm recording a podcast. I'm always with it. What's cool now is I'm seeing you guys on Twitter talk about how you're grabbing your cans and going to work. So send me those stories about what you're doing and how you're cracking open a tall boy in odd situations because, hey, it's water. And not only is it water, it's the best water that you can go out there and buy. It's cold. You can drink it with whatever you're doing. So go on out there, get Liquid Death at your local Harris Teeter or 7-Eleven, or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool by going to liquiddeath.com slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com slash film study. <laughs> whether whether it should listeners, I wish you could uh, see Ken's face. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> My I'm trying to find a way to, uh, to, to 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 agree with that statement as it is. You're right. Dobbins <laughs> might not have been realistic about his own ability to get a contract. That's certainly true. But um, in in terms, yeah, it, 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 that's cool. Um, I mean, this is his earning power, right? We're talking about like he's yeah. only got a couple more. Uh, earnings value years because of his playing a devalued position. So I can understand yeah. a feeling of urgency on his part to make, you know, to, 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 to make something count out of each one of them. Well, sure. I and mean, that's, that's certainly true. And you don't want to become a running back who's missed a lot of his first four seasons and then is, is a guy and, and he already has missed one complete season. He tried to get back on the field and he's played, you could, you could call this half a season, but if you call it half a season, it's not nearly as good as the quarter season was. <laughs> and and the uh you know it, it would just be nice if I, I would just like him to have a, a really big year four. And I, I I can you can see why he was so upset and he's been vocally yeah. upset at two times with the Ravens. Number one was not getting carries in this game, and there's probably others too, by the way. But but the two times we've heard about it. And the other was was about getting injured in the preseason in twenty one. Yeah. That that he was he was really pissed about being on the field at all. Um at that point, which is un- unlike Dobbins in a way that, it, you know, it seems like a guy. Was he pissed? He was pissed about being active for that game. Yeah. For, really? About being used in the preseason. Yes. I think mm-hmm. it might, it wasn't even the last game, right? It was the second game he got hurt in. Was it the Redskins? I think so. 
Yeah. Second game in 21. So they played the last game against the Redskins this year, right? Yeah. That's twice that one of my favorite offensive performers has been lost for the season playing the goddamn Redskins. My uh my before Miles Boykin, my favorite lost cause receiver for the Ravens there was Marcus Smith uh way back when and he tore up his knee covering a punt against the Redskins and uh, was lost for his critical second year. You must have been absolutely thrilled when that 2008 game, when he finally got his got his big fight with the Ravens, the pass interference drawn in the end zone that set up their second touchdown. Yeah, one of the most productive no catch, uh, no reception seasons for a wide receiver ever. That, that probably is. That prob- definitely is. <laughs> it's right up there. All right, uh, we went through most of the guys here, so let's talk about 2023 for a second. Can we talk? Yeah, all right. Let's talk because because that actually I was going to say, can we talk about Gus? But I want to talk about Gus in the context of 2023. So yeah, we should we should probably talk about Gus's 2022 because he obviously did not come back until week seven, but once he came back and pretty much immediately upon coming back. Uh, was back to his old self. And one thing you can say about Gus Edwards is he's been one of the most consistent running backs in the history of the National Football League. Just just absurdly consistent. His yards per, per attempt. And, and, and by the way, it's it's easier to be consistent at 3.5 yards a carry than it is at 5.2 yards per carry, right. which is his career average. And he's 5.2, 5.3, 5.0, 5.0, his four seasons. And his yeah. first three seasons were basically indistinguishable. 718 yards, 711 yards, and 723 yards. I doubt there's been a player in the history of the league who ever had three seasons that close at anything maybe over 200 yards. You know, he, he's he's un, he he his career to me is a missed opportunity because he is so much better than you had any right to expect him to be. And he really, you know, if he had wound up on the Houston Texans under, you know, Gary Kubiak coaching that offense or whatever, he, I, I see him as the next Arian Foster, just, you know, consistent like 1,200 or 1,300 yard seasons. Uh, he, he was a guy who always, you can talk about finishing a run. He's a guy who always got a yard and a half or so more than you thought he was going to get mm-hmm. out of every run. He always fell forward. Uh, his success rates have always been ridiculous. Just an incredible under the radar running back and so much better than you. I thought that when he, in 2018, when he joined the team, I saw him in camp. I'm like, not in camp, in preseason. I was really unimpressed. And I was like, what is, what is with the slow, untalented running back? Why are the Ravens wasting their time with him? And he has been great. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I did want to give those Justice Hill numbers, by the way, for receiving and then yards after the catch. But he had, let's see. 4.8 4.8 yards per, t- I, don't, I don't want that. I think I want yards per reception in this case. No. So he had yeah. Four, yeah, 4.8 yards per reception, I believe. It's 58 yards on 12 receptions. He caught all 12 of his balls. That's why it's the same number. Right. Obviously throwing me throwing me off the, but 4.8 yards per reception. But his yak per reception was 6.9. So his average okay, ball so thrown caught at behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah. 2.1 yards behind the line of scrimmage. That's that's very extreme, by the way. Ray Rice once had over 700 yards receiving, and he, and he had a minus, a negative A dot. But this right. that's, this is this is very uh, very extreme. So anyway, he's uh, been a, you know a guy who, who certainly has picked up some significant yards after after uh, after the catch on a regular basis. So right. you said that Gus Edwards picked up right where he left off, and I want to say that to my eye, just strictly 
fan impression, Gus looked to me like he had lost, I want to say like a quarter step, like just a little bit off yeah. what he has had before. I, I, I think that's fair. I, I, you know, he, he, he's not much different stat wise, but he's, it's within the context of a team that generally ran the ball very effectively. Now, one of the things about Edwards that made him a little less effective this year was he didn't play with Lamar Jackson as much. So Jackson, he was back at the end of the year. Jackson was gone at the end of the year, of course. And, and that was, uh, you know, that was unfortunate for him. I think he would have been one of the guys who would have really benefited from more time on the field with Jackson. Um, he picked up some huge first downs for the Ravens, including putting away that Steelers game uh, with a big, what was a third and four run where he ran for six yards, great schemed up run. Yeah. He chugged right over people and, and got the first down. So uh, he got the carry on second down on the goal line against the Bengals in the wild card game. So the third down was the Tyler Huntley fumble and mm -hmm. it went the other way. But the second down play was, I think, a loss of one by Gus uh, in, in a situation where they really couldn't afford to lose one. Yeah, that's you know, that's an interesting thing is Gus had very few carries. I wonder if I have a, a you know, a, a times lost or stuff behind the line of scrimmage here within the PFR stats. Um, I don't seem to have it like a TFL is what I'm looking for. But he, he was not tackled for a loss very often in his entire career with the Ravens. Right. It's definitely one of the hallmarks, along with the yards after contact, which which were consistently outstanding. More times this season, though, than than in prior seasons, I think, behind the line. Okay. But but Lamar's absence uh, or, or, or not being teamed with Lamar can obviously have a huge impact on that. Yep. All right. So, so he's 27 years old this year. Yep, he'll be 28. Wow, I did not know that. Born in Liberia. Did you know this? I didn't know that. All right. Interesting. Um, uh, okay. Very good. Anyway, he'll be, he'll, he'll be 28 next year and scheduled to make $4.4 million. And it's interesting. I think there is, I mean, he's one of their better backs, but on the other hand, I think there's probably a pretty good chance that they're going to have to clear that cap space. Not impossible. I guess they would renegotiate his deal you know, over three years and he'd take a pay cut or he'd cut and, and, and be resigned. Any number of things are possible. Uh, he, he will have some suitors, but they won't be big time suitors. I don't think there's no. a, there's a team out there that's looking to sign him for three years, you know, 20 million or anything. Um, no. the question would be whether, whether he could get, uh, from the Ravens, say three years, 7 million, that kind of number, but, uh, still has some earning power, I think in the league. I'm I'm so torn between head and heart on this. I, I, he's been, I think, one of the most reliable players on the team the last three seasons. He's he's the guy that you trust utterly. He's he's been tremendous. Uh, uh, that would be the heart part of it. Love to see him back. The head part of it is, uh, you know, 28 year old running back who already has shown a little bit of evidence of maybe losing a tiny bit of speed. Uh, already an undrafted free agent, so it's not like he was brimming with extra speed uh, when he got into the league. Uh, to me, uh, my head tells me that he's a threshold guy about to fall below the threshold of where he keeps his usefulness. And at that contract number, at that age for a running back, uh, uh, I hate to say it, but but he would be, you know, my nerd calculus is that he should be a cut, that he, he should not right. return. Well, I, I would basically agree with you in that that if you're projecting his career in any reasonable model, the only thing he's got on his side is very limited tread wear. He's only carried the ball 500 times, 501, I think, in his entire career. So that's not too bad. 
But then on the other on the other side, he has been hurt already. Uh, he, he he certainly uh, may not have exactly the same speed he does. And the other, I guess, the other thing you'd really point to is that he's always been productive to date on a per carry basis. Uh, seems to fit well with this team and this offensive line in particular in terms of, and, and this quarterback is really what that means um, uh, to do well. But I agree, would agree with you. I mean, I think the Ravens have, have in recent years, they've had a lot of success with stylistic fit players and no success at all with veteran running backs. And they probably need to learn from that lesson. And I, unfortunately, I think Edwards is probably going to be a cap casually because of that. And just because they need the money. I mean, it's, it's $4.4 million and the guy they can find, after Edwards is probably going to be 80% of the player at 20% of the price, pretty damn close. Yeah. So, I mean, if you go into the season with JK Dobbins and justice Hill as your first two backs, and then some, you know, sixth round draft pick or undrafted free agent as, as the number three and some veteran on the, uh, on the, on the practice squad, that seems to me like the most probable or, or, or the most fiscally responsible approach yeah yeah that's that's a good way to put it um and i think i I still think edwards could be back i just think it has to be restructured i i I don't know what they would exactly give him like somebody else is going to want him though i i what i want to see the ravens do is stay away from veteran running backs this year first of all they need to get younger at the position when hill is the youngest guy they've got well hill and dobbins are the youngest guys they have dobbins is entering year four hill of course is is already a free agent so they're gonna have to pay him edwards is a free agent um they need to find their guys, either one guy late in the draft or a bunch of UDFAs coming in or, or you know, the old tried and true way, which is check the scrap heap. Somebody else's garbage is going to be very useful to the Ravens on, on a stylistic basis because they run the ball more and they run the ball in more varied ways. Uh, and that may not be as true in a post Greg Roman world. But I was going to say, yeah, there's some assumptions yeah. embedded in that. Yes. Yes, that, that's that's true. And and it's it's the kind of thing that we're going to have to wait and see on some of that. I kind of think, uh, can we take a colossal leap and pretend for a moment that Frank Reich is the new offensive coordinator? Uh, and, and my reason for this is that Greg Roman was um, somewhere between aggressively and pathologically determined to platoon his backs uh, and so you had guys, you know, coming in, you, you know, J.K. Dobbins has never gotten, I think, more than 15 or, or maybe 18 carries in a game. Uh, um, Gus Edwards got some in, in a situation like that. Gus Edwards, uh, as part of a Greg Roman's stable of backs, had a lot of value. But then you look at Frank Reich, who is not the Ravens offense coordinator. But, you know, in my little fantasy uh, in, in this in this scenario, he is. He is used to a bell cow back. He had Marlon Mack in Indy, and then he had Jonathan Taylor in Indy. And it's easy to imagine J.K. Dobbins going for, you know, 1,300 yards in that kind of a scenario. But but, but running back number two, Gus Edwards, not getting as much run and maybe not being as holding as much value as he would as a member of the rotational stable in a Greg Roman style of offense. Uh, Yes. Um, that, that, I mean, that's possible. I, I kind of think that, that rotating backs is something that may be an organizational thing. And the reason I would say it is we see it at other positions. We see it on the defensive line. This is a rotational team and they have been, it's, it's DNA now, but it's been every defensive coordinator has been on the same bandwagon. They've hired a lot from within 
And if you go all the way back to the beginning, when they couldn't at times do it. In fact, this is a, a little known fact that the 1996 Ravens shifted from a 4-3 to a 3-4 during the season, not by choice. They had injuries and they were forced to do it. And they had to change to a, to a 3-4 defense because they just have, didn't have enough defensive linemen who could still stand. Their nose tackle, James Jones, was really an outstanding player, really good pass rusher, could could stunt a lot, um, really got worn out that year. And he played 90, 90 or 91 snaps in the game against the Rams. One game, defensive lineman playing 91 snaps. Well, That's Marvin insane. Lewis, it's it's ridiculous. It's 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 one of the highest totals ever by a defensive player for the Ravens. Only uh, a few other games by Ray and and Ed Reed and basically Ray and safeties were in the were it ever in the same uh, group. But There's anyway, two things there, right? Because you have to play every snap, and the defense has to be bad enough to stay on the field for that many snaps. Yeah, I, it can often be a good team that stays on the field for a lot of snaps. Like the Tennessee Titans, uh, the Ravens, I think, had 92, 91, 92 plays against them in the in the wild card loss. Sorry, the divisional loss, right? The divisional loss. In, in Why? Is that because I, I'm trying to imagine the mechanic there. Is that because Tennessee scored fast and then we were trying to, to catch up? Or why do you stay we, we, were trying, we were trying to catch up and there's a lot of shorter time plays when you're forced to pass the ball a lot. Lamar was running a lot and running out of bounds some. I mean, you, combination of, of of a variety of things. Obviously running out of, okay, we don't have to go too deep down this rabbit hole. But that, that I didn't game, realize we were talking about the 2019 game. I'm so appa- yeah. so sorry to bring that to the attention of, uh, of listeners. Let's pretend that yes. didn't happen. All right, no, that's fine. It's it, that, but that's the most plays the Ravens have ever run in a game. They had they did have 530 yards in the game, but there, there's an awful yeah. lot of plays. Yeah. So any, anyway, my point was about the rotation is I think that that you know, but it's done different it. to rotate at the defensive line, right? Like like Jimmy Johnson, the ex Dallas and Dolphins head coach, he it was one of his main keys to building a team was to rotate your defensive line and your pass rushers, so you always have a fresh front four. Sure. I mean that that that's a stylistic. Uh, that's a specific positional strategy for that position. You think it's, it applies all across? Well, I'm saying I think it applies there. It applies at outside linebacker. It uh, does not really apply at, at at cornerback or at safety. It applies at the weak side linebacker spot it, it, to, to a degree. I mean, if you have a guy who can't play every snap, that's a perfect spot for him because he, he can rotate with a safety and, and a, a guy's in for the dime. Uh, I, I, and then you go to the offensive side of the ball. They don't really rotate offensive linemen ever. Does anybody? Um, yeah, there, there's, there's. Um, I, I mean, the Ravens have done it in the past. I'm not going to say they, they, they never do. When they have two guys at the position, they will occasionally, you know, allow them to alternate series or whatever. It's, it's not like it's never happened, but it's, it's not the preferred way. Offensive linemen continuity is so valued that they like to keep them on the field every down. Tight end, different story. The Ravens have been a, a very, and it really, this goes for all skill position players. They've been a skill position rotation team where they've been all five positions. They, they, they're comfortable doing what the Saints did a few years back and changing all five of them. And the one guy who seems to stay on the field no matter what or, or more often than you think is Patrick Ricard. Right. And, uh, and otherwise, they, you know, they make changes at running back at tight end. Um, one of her In 2019, like, that guy was Nick Boyle who stayed on the field a whole lot. Yeah, he did. He stayed on the field a whole lot. Andrews was a designated pass catcher, and Hurst had another designation which he wasn't very happy with, which ended up, you know, getting him traded. Uh, but but anyway, he, he, you know, obviously more of a run blocker. But even at the at the wide receiver positions, you know, Boykin was getting a higher percentage of the run snaps than the pass snaps. 
So you have, you, you know, they they're very comfortable rotating players at those positions. So, it doesn't now, so I, I I have a, a column about like Greg Roman's departure on RSR, and and one of the things I mentioned was this rotation that we're talking about, and I had assumed or at least wrote from the viewpoint that that was a Greg Roman thing, the, oh, the no. constant shift. It's not. It goes back. Tell me. So can you tell us more about prior to Roman uh, skill position rotation? So they, I mean, they, they did have Jamal and he got a high percentage of the carries and, and they had always guys though with him who were not insignificant priest homes at first uh, at Chester Taylor, of course, played with him for, for several years. So they had guys. Pierce. Bernard Pierce, right, with Rice, you're saying. Yep, that's that's a good yeah, one. Yeah, I'm sorry, yep. Yeah, um, and, uh, you know... It, it, the since, three-headed monster in 2008. Yeah, that, that's right. They were they were overloaded in terms of talent at the position there, and they had one one of their tailbacks was really a fullback. So it's, it was... Ray uh, Ron McLean and yeah. was it Ray Rice and Willis McGee. Yep. yep, those are the three. So, uh, yeah, they've, they've had the... Yeah, they've had the ability to... Uh, uh, you know, when, when they've had extra backs, they've been happy with it. They have, they've, they've not tried to overuse any of them. And I think, I think that's the way the NFL is headed. I, I think that they really don't want to run backs into the ground. I think running backs would be smart not to let themselves get run into the ground the way the right. position is being devalued. Right. I agree with that. Yeah. It's remember Warwick Dunn. He, uh, he built himself an undersized back played with Tampa for many, many years he uh, managed to build himself a very long career out of platoon situations and being a third down back. How long did work done playing the league? Oh my God. Yeah. 12 years. Yeah. It's a long time for a, for a guy like him. All right. Uh, 2023. So what are you projecting as the opening day starting situation with backs? Dobbins? Jake. J.K. Dobbins, number one, Justice Hill off the bench, Gus Edwards off the roster, Mike Davis never heard from again, <laughs> Patrick Ricard uh, uh, getting nowhere near the snaps that he got for Greg Roman, but still being used situationally as a fullback. Okay, and we'll include Ricard in with the tight ends. That was the, the, that was the plan, but that's fine in, okay. in terms of that. I, I think we'll see a significant udfa or waiver claim i think there'll be a guy who the ravens specifically pick off the scrap heap of undrafted players or the scrap heap of another team when cuts occur so they'll have I bet it'll be like, sooner i bet it'll be an undrafted guy i bet he'll come into into training camp early as an undrafted free agent and stick like a gus edwards uh not like an alex collins who i guess was a scrap heap pickup after yep. being cut by seattle yep He's, he's a good example of one. But even the, the way the Ravens have lost those guys uh, in recent years with guys like Mizell and uh, uh, trying to think of other guys, Abadie would be, would, would be another one. But they've lost running backs in recent years. Who was the guy they lost last year, speedy back in 2021 that they lost? I I think I'm thinking of the wrong guy because I'm thinking of Smoke, but that he was a wide receiver, yeah, right? Smoke, Smoke Mizell. Yeah. yeah, that's so. So I'm not talking about him. This is this is a um, this is a running back who was fast and never really got on the field with the Ravens, and then they ended up losing him. And I, I'm 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 missing the name, folks out there. You'll correct me when when this gets promoted <laughs> or whatever. Just just drop that name right in there. I'll be happy to hear it. Uh, Jim. Always great talking football with you. Great to get to talk over this running back group and what's going on. It's very cool to have a departure and talk about a few baseball statistics here. I guess I didn't really realize <laughs> you were as much of a baseball guy as uh, as this. 
I'm nowhere near as much of a baseball guy. I, uh, I had a brief, intense baseball, uh, uh, fixation from about 1988 to about, uh, to about whenever they traded away Mike Messina. And, uh, I think I, uh, I got, uh, I got really pissed at Angelos and <laughs> I got really pissed at the MLB ownership after the, that 90s strike. And, uh, I swore off that whole sport. So I'm a college basketball guy and a football guy, but I'm also a stats guy. So all right. Well, fair enough. And also a reader of Bill James from way back, which is good. So he's the father of a lot of what's been done in sports analytics yeah. and uh, uh, very cool. I uh, want to tell folks one more time where, you, where they can find you online. Yeah. So I'm on I'm on Twitter. I'm at zip underscore Jim or look for the likes on most of, of uh, Ken's tweets and you'll find me and uh, look for me also on the uh, RSR collection of, of writers. I was doing a a series of weekly columns about Ravens receivers this past season and some of the writing I'm actually proud of. So, you know, you can, you can look up some of it if you want. All right. Uh, I'm doing a new podcast this off season. It's called that one play. Oh my God. Intended, I got one for you. Intended to be shorter content. Thank you, Jim. We definitely was going to, going to start to solicit that from you either here or in the, in the time after the show, but definitely idea is this pick one play in Ravens history. We'll talk about it for about 15 to 20 minutes intended for to be very short content out there on a daily basis so there's something there every day during the off season but so want to open the mic to as broad a group of people as i can so uh come on hit me up 18 people already came to me with ideas so we're we are killing it early on in terms of uh, of stuff to do but these these are the kind of things they rec- we record them very quickly uh they're always interesting conversations and what i'm looking for is people have a different perspective on the play so an example i heard was an excellent one today a guy who worked with the team photographer and he's down at field level for some of the big plays in Ravens history, and he has his own story on those. I thought that was a that was a neat one. Oh, that he, he has to pick great. he has to pick one play and then and then kind of describe it. And if you were at the game and you want to talk about how cold it was or why it, this guy was your favorite player and you brought his jersey immediately after he said play because that meant A and B and C to you. That's cool. If you want to talk about the history of the play, I'm all, I'll. Always good with that, of course. And we can talk about how it changed the Ravens, how it changed the game, how it changed whatever you you want to think about. But I'm looking for your own personal perspective. And I'm looking for many different spins on this and a lot of different voices on the other end. So uh, please hit me up with a DM on Twitter. They're always open. And I'd love to hear from you. Jim, thanks again for coming on. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's always a thrill for me to be on. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.